Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. And as we study it, we invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide, to enlighten us and instruct us in the way of truth and righteousness, and to quicken us according unto your Word, that we may walk as doers thereof and not hearers only. And Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost, expecting you to think through my thoughts and speak through my lips, that I may effectively communicate the Word of life unto your people, that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom, but in the power of God, in Jesus' name, amen. And the verse says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And the word there, charity, in actuality is agape, and it's divine love. Here, according to the Word of God, the greatest force in all the universe is love. But once again, when we talk about love, too often we're vague. And we don't really understand the full meaning of the Word. You know, we use it saying that we love cars, we love food, you know, we love animals, we love sports. And we just continue on saying we love and we love this and we love that. And we really have different meanings to the word, but we, yet we just use one same word, and that's called love. But the Greek, which is a more precise language, used different words for love. And the one word that's used to define the love of God is the word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape love. And that's talking about the kind of love that God is. For the Bible says God is love. And since God is love and has given birth to every one of us, His love has been shed abroad in all of our hearts by His Spirit who was given to us. And therefore, the greatest force, being love, agape love, is to be developed in the life of every single child of God. As a matter of fact, in the 14th chapter, the first verse, which is the very next verse, it tells us that we are to follow char charity... And in the Amplified, it says that we are to eagerly pursue divine love and make it our highest aim and greatest quest. In other words, every child of God is to pursue with great intensity this kind of love, the love that God has or that God is, the divine love of God. Well, first of all, I want us to see once again in verse 13 that love is the greatest force. Love makes faith work. Galatians 5, 6 says what? Faith which worketh by love. Hope in itself doesn't have any reality to it. But faith, the greater force, gives substance to our hope. You hope for something, but faith is what brings it into the realm of reality. So faith is greater than hope. But the greatest of these is love. And actually, in love, we have the full character of God. 
So the greatest force in all the universe is the love of God. And every single one of us is privileged to be able to explore it and to develop it. To walk in the line of it and have it hold sway over our lives. God wants us to be influenced by His love more than anything else in all the world. And if we'll do that, then we will develop the greatest force. It's the greatest power that anyone can choose to live by. And if you want to grow in faith, you have to grow in love. If we don't grow in love and develop love, then our faith will not work as it should. And so in order for us to grow in faith, we have to understand the need to develop and grow in love. So if we don't make this our highest aim and greatest quest, and if we take the commandment lightly, then we're going to miss out. We're not going to live in the realm of God. Because, you see, God is love, and the realm that God lives in is absolute love. That means there's not even one degree of anything contrary to this divine love. This same love has been shed abroad in our hearts by His Spirit who is given to us. It's in us right now. And in actuality, it's up to us to develop this love in our lives. If we will do so, then that love will grow and it will influence us. And it will lift us to a higher realm of living. If not, then we'll still be bound by our five senses and our natural emotions and we'll be controlled by selfishness. As a result, we're not going to get anywhere in God. And so God wants every one of His children to pursue this love with great intensity and He wants us to fulfill this royal law, which is love. And I really believe, beloved, that if the church would make this their highest aim and greatest quest, we'd be more effective in evangelizing the world. We'd be more effective in letting the world know what Jesus is all about. You see, it's up to us to let the world know that Jesus is Lord. And by this commandment of love shall the world know that we are the disciples of our Lord. When Jesus died upon the cross, it was love that gave its all. Love went to the limit. Love poured itself out to the limit so that those who lived on this earth might live with Him in glory. He couldn't love us any more than He did. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And really, God in the person of Jesus Christ, who was love personified, laid down His life so that people like you and I would live. We have life because Jesus loved us. And this love goes beyond human scope. It goes beyond human understanding. As a matter of fact, it goes beyond anything man can imagine in his mind. The Bible calls it the kind of love that exceeds and excels anything that man has knowledge of. In Ephesians 3 it says, that we might know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Passeth knowledge. That's human knowledge. It says, He is the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of God's love. 
Now, since he loved us so much, he says, my commandment to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. And beloved, I firmly believe that this is the pattern that the church is to follow if the church wants to have more manifestations of the Holy Ghost in their midst. And I'm not talking about emotional things. I'm talking about the genuine experience of the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in diverse ways among the people in their individual private life and also collectively as we unite together. Because you'll notice in this same verse, in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. In other words, this is the proper procedure. It's the proper pattern to follow. The gifts of the, of the Spirit are love gifts. These gifts are born of love. When a person loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loves humanity, he loves his neighbor as himself, he even loves his enemy, God sees and God knows the heart of that child of God. And I firmly believe that the more we walk in and live in this realm of God, we'll see the world through different eyes. We'll see people that are even against us as being without hope and lost in this world. We'll see a lost and dying humanity in dire need of God's assistance. And it won't matter how much they wrong us. It won't matter how much they speak out against us. We choose to live in love's realm. We choose to speak the best and think the best about every person. We choose, as the Bible says, to love our enemies and bless those that curse us, which means we speak well of those who speak evil of us. We refuse to listen to the faults and the failures of other people because we do not want to forfeit our right to live in love's realm. We don't want the power of God's love to diminish in our lives at all. And so you see, as we begin to walk this kind of a particular walk, beloved, it strengthens us with the strength of God. It's not a character flaw. It's not a flaw in our personality to choose to love our enemies. It's a strength. Jesus himself said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is how they lived under the Old Testament. And he said, what is it that you love those that loved you? That's not strength. What is it that you did good to those who did good to you? That's not strength. Anyone can do that, even sinners, he said. But I say to you, love even your enemies. How do you love your enemy? Bless those or speak well of. To bless means to speak well of those who speak evil of you. That is not the natural thing, beloved. The natural thing is to speak evil of those that speak evil of us, is it not? To put down those that put down us. But he said to bless those that curse you. That, beloved, takes strength. It takes spiritual fortitude. It takes the ability to look beyond the natural. Beyond what the eye can see. And to look beyond what the emotions can feel. And say, I'd rather choose to love you. And bless you and speak well of you. Even though... That person might speak evil of you. You see, beloved, it's a decision on the part of the believer to turn his back on self-centeredness. It's a decision on the part of the believer, the child of God, to say no to that which is not born of love. 
We make it by choice, not by feeling. And as we do, we let go some of selfishness. And the more we let go of selfishness, the more we receive of the life of God. I firmly believe that. God replaces those selfish tendencies with more of Himself. You want to walk in a great anointing? You want to walk with great power? It's called compassion. It's called compassion. I have seen people who you thought would never turn to the Lord melt. Just melt. When someone did a good deed to them and for them out of love when they were doing wrong to someone else. Beloved, God wants us to begin to have this kind of faith in His love. He wants us to understand it's the greatest force that we can operate in. And He wants us to view it as such. He wants us to make it our highest aim and greatest quest. Why a quest? Because it will be a struggle. There will be a battle. But the battle will not be without. The battle will be within. Our own feelings and emotions will do their best to prevent this activity in our lives. They will rise up and demand their own rights and ways. They'll always look to find fault. Our feelings and emotions, our natural tendencies, will always look to put others down. Always try to justify self and defend self. Those are all natural tendencies. To be jealous or envious or covetous or hurt or to hurt, be hurtful, hurt other people, or even to be unforgiving. The Bible says, do good to those that hate you. That is not a natural thing to do. Do good to those that hate me. God wants us to make a practice to go out of our way to do good to those that hate us because we believe that as we do good, it open up, opens up an avenue through which God can work to touch that person's life. He wants us to stop seeing people in their natural state, no matter how vile the person may be. He wants us to look beyond that and recognize this is a soul that Jesus died for. This is a person who needs deliverance from eternal damnation. And if I am the only person that will show him the life and the love of God then I must be that person. I must be that person. You must be that person. It's the greatest force. It's the greatest power. And obviously, in order to walk in it, we'll have to win the greatest battle of all. Temptation to be controlled by our own emotions. It's not an easy thing for anybody to love his enemy, to do good to those that hate you. And what about to pray for those that despitefully use and abuse you? Remember Jesus said that, to pray for those? Think about it. Think about that. As a Christian, do you pray? When you pray, do you say, Father, I thank you for my family? Let's say you start with the nation. I thank you for the nation. I thank you for the leaders. I thank you for the family. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the body of Christ. How many really take time to pray for your enemy? 
Think about it. Someone's been abusing you, mistreating you. See, the natural thing to do is to try to retaliate. But you know, I believe God wants us to retaliate on our knees. And say, Father, I present so and so to you in Jesus' name. And every time I come into contact with so and so, you know what my prayer is? That that person would see the love of God dripping from me. And that your love would be so overwhelming and so powerful, it would penetrate that person's very heart. And I pray that you prepare the heart of that person to receive the love of God that's going to flow out of my life today. Whether it be in the workplace, whether it be uh, in a social function somewhere where you've got to be in contact with people that maybe just rub you the wrong way or have mistreated you or, or someone who has done you wrong, who did you wrong, whatever the case may be. The whole point is God wants us to constantly be evangelistic minded. To think about reaching and touching the hearts and the lives of people with His love and His goodness. Because it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. Beloved, the activity of our lives should be effective in reaching the lost. I know that we want to have a lot of activity of God when we gather together in this place. And I thank God that we can come and worship Him and bless Him and praise Him and magnify Him and fill our tanks, so to speak. And I thank God when, he is, when we are here, the glory will fall and the power of God reveal. And in, a, in a, maybe a limited way, needs of the people will be met. But we don't want it to be limited to this facility. We want it to flow out of this place and through our lives and reach people in the highways and byways of life because we know that Jesus is coming soon. We know His return is imminent. We know we're living in the last of the last days and we know there is going to be a great and a mighty harvest before that day comes. We want to be conscious and ever conscious of the fact that God needs us to reach humanity. But once again, the best method, the most powerful way to touch another person's life is through divine love. We have all had opportunities to turn our back on people. We have all had opportunities to walk away and cut them off. We have all been offended, we've all been hurt, we've all been used, we've all been abused, we've all experienced all kinds of hurtful, emotional hurts from people in life. But you know what? God wants us to rise up above our emotions and our emotional feelings. He wants us to rise up above our five senses. He wants us to rise up above the hurts of this life. He wants us to make the quality decision... To reach others with the power of His love to get them into the kingdom of God, no matter how bad we've been hurt by anyone. Who's our example? Jesus. What did they do to Him? What did they do to Him? You think about it. They mistreated Him. They abused him. 
I mean, they humiliated him. It's hard for us to imagine this, beloved. They humiliated him. They physically hurt him. They emotionally hurt him. He went to his own. His own received him not. They turned their backs on him. He was touched in every single way. And if we can possibly fathom it, beloved, he was touched with the sin of the entire world. No matter what you experience in life, no matter what I experience in life, the Bible says Jesus Himself was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our emotional distresses and hurts, He was touched with our weaknesses and inabilities. I mean, we'll, we'll never know probably till we get on the other side just how awful His death was. We may never fully comprehend and understand all that He withstood upon that cross until we get to the other side. But one thing I know, in the end, love prevailed. Did you hear that? See, selfishness was at work to destroy the life of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Love conquered death, hell, and the grave. Let's look at Jesus and say that He was love personified. Love in human form. No greater display or demonstration of God's love than Jesus Christ. For God so loved the unloving world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was God, manifested love in manifestation, and love went the limit. Greater love hath no man than this. And even though He was abused in many ways, and touched with the full force of our sin, He still prevailed and arose victoriously. And that victory is ours. If there's anything I want to stress, beloved, I believe that God is stressing by His Spirit, is that every child of God must put love first. As a matter of fact, I said it this morning, I'm going to say it again. If you want to live in great faith, you've got to have love developed in your life. If you want to live in God's realm, you have got to develop the agape love of God. If you want to have success in this life, then you have got to give place to the love of God in your life. As a matter of fact, you can read the first few verses of chapter 13 here, 1 Corinthians 13. And it says that if you have not love, you have nothing. If you have not love, if you walk not in love, you're nothing but a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You're nothing if you do not display and demonstrate the love of God. If we do not manifest God's love, it doesn't matter. If we give our bodies to be burned, it profits us nothing. No matter what we do in this life, if it was not motivated by agape, which is pure, unadulterated, 100%, the love of God in our lives, then it means nothing. It is meaningless. I mean, beloved, that's quite a statement, wouldn't you say? You mean someone can give their body to be burned for the Lord and it would profit them nothing? Not if they did it for selfish motives. It would profit them not one thing. You mean you can help the poor? If you did it just to be seen of men, it profits you nothing. It profits me nothing. God wants us to be ever so mindful that we of the fact that we are to be motivated and directed and guided by His divine love. So that all that we set our hearts and hands to do 
we first and foremost make certain that we're operating in God's divine love. And beloved, choosing to develop this love in our lives is going to lift us up to God's realm. You'll never get there. I will never get there any other way. Can you see that? Now, once again, what I want us to do is to look at two scriptures. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to go back to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. It is very easy for us to talk about walking in this divine love and then the moment we walk away from what we have heard and go our separate ways, begin immediately to sin against this kind of love. Did you know that? And if we're not careful, we'll watch, if we watch what we say and the things that we say, a lot of what we say is really unnecessary. And really, a lot of what we say is against the law of love. It is easy in this life for us to see people and to magnify their faults and failures. It is very easy for us to point out character flaws, human frailties, inabilities, and all that. And lose sight of the fact that that person was made after the likeness and image of God. Do you ever look at your brother or your sister and say, My, you're fearfully and wonderfully made? I would never tell you to do that because I'm not that way. I don't like doing that. But you look around this room here right now, and do you know what? Rather than just seeing a person from the flesh or after the flesh, look at that person and say, My, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You are so special, constructed by the Almighty One Himself. Valuable, precious. You know what you're doing? You're overlooking any character flaw, any problem that they might have or possess in the flesh. We all have imperfections. We all have character flaws and personality traits and quirks that rub people the wrong way. We all do. Right? But listen, God doesn't want us to look at those things. He wants us to see each other fearfully and wonderfully made by God Almighty Himself. And then He wants us to see each other only after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Well, you talk about a difficult assignment. You think about that for a moment. He wants you to see me after the Spirit and not after the flesh. He wants me to see you after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And as I begin seeing you that way and you begin seeing me that way, we look beyond the faults that each other has and we begin to see something different. You are God's workmanship recreated by God Almighty Himself. You're cleansed, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, a vital part of the body of Christ upon this earth. You are needed by God. You are needed by the church. We all need each other. You're special in God's sight. And if you're special in His sight, you should be special in my sight. Isn't that true? Yeah, but you don't understand. They said terrible things about me. Well, 
That's what they said about you. How many of you know you can't control what someone says about you? But you can control what you say about them. Isn't that true? It's a choice, beloved, to begin saying the right things about people and seeing better things about people. And the better things are the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. You know, if a husband and wife would each make divine love their highest aim and greatest quest, there would be a a heaven-like atmosphere developed within their relationship. There would be. I'm telling you, you know, when, when, when you look at your mate that way, and I mean you love on them with the love of God, it'll produce an atmosphere that'll be heaven-like. And when each person is striving to outdo the other one in love, I'm telling you, it's also going to create an atmosphere where growth and development will take place in their lives. Yeah, I realize it's, it's, a, it's a big struggle in this life because we're surrounded by all kinds of darkness, all kinds of evils, all kinds of temptations, a, a bad atmosphere that's in this world in which we live to get us pulled down and do the wrong thing. But God is saying to our hearts, Jesus is coming. And when He comes, He wants to see a bride that is spotless, without blemish, And on its way to being perfected in love. Beloved, I really believe it's going to happen. I believe we are going to have more people dedicated and consecrated to walking in this love than ever before. As a Christian matures, things get in proper priority in their lives. Seemingly, when you're first a Christian, you know, you like to see about, hear about miracles and talk about miracles and all signs and wonders and all these different manifestations of God. Well, they're not going to change. They're still going to be there. But you find this out, that love is the most important thing. And you put love first. And you develop in love first. And then you know what? You have the proper balance in your life so that God can use you in a greater way to manifest His Spirit and spiritual gifts. In Joshua 1.8, It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. One cannot be a doer of agape love without meditating in the word of agape love day and night. I'm going to say that again. You cannot be a doer of love or really a doer of anything without first meditating the word on the subject day and night. God wants us to continuously Keep the word of love before our hearts and minds and on our lips by day and night so that we may observe to do that word. And the more we say it to ourselves and the more we meditate upon it, then the more we will act upon it. And listen carefully, the more you get to the place that you act upon it, the more you will develop and I will develop in it. The less we talk about it, the less we confess it about ourselves, the less we do it, the less we develop in it. Did you hear that? It is so essential, beloved, to make this a part of our daily confession about ourselves. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, 
For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And so now back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read once again, beginning at verse 4, love endures long. Now, you know that if you're married, very often you have to do a lot of enduring. Right? That's right. So, being married, we realize when you enter into that relationship, you're married to somebody who might have a different personality than you have. (laughs) And as a result, we each have to put up or endure with each other's personality. Correct? Some are more overbearing than others. True? Well, love endures long. I dare not ask if we have any long endurers out there. Someone says, well, I've been married long, so I've been enduring long. But love does endure long. In other words, here is a characteristic of the love of God. Love endures long. Someone says, I'm not going to put up with that. But love says, I can endure long. But it doesn't stop there. It's also patient and kind while it's enduring. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Now, normally, when we endure things... Very often, we're not patient nor kind, neither patient nor kind when we endure things. Because impatience is a very prominent part of our emotional makeup as a human being. I'll tell off on myself. I'll use myself as an example. You ever notice when you go out for a drive, if you have really... All kinds of time. I mean, all day long to get to where you're going. You might just feel like going out for a ride. You can drive down the street well below the speed limit and just going real slow, enjoying yourself. Window roll down 65 degrees, sun coming in, real nice, looking at the trees, how beautiful this fall season has been. You know, the colorful, you know, foliage out there and we can see how beautiful the sights are and just drive down the highway and all that. You ever been there? I mean, isn't that enjoyable? Isn't that true? But while you're driving down that highway at that, you know, slower speed, slower than the speed limit, it's no problem for you. Someone gets on your tail behind you and you don't really feel like going much faster. But you're annoying them like crazy because you're just going slow down the highway. Right? Because you're enjoying yourself. Reverse the situation. They're out for a nice drive, looking at the trees, the beautiful leaves. You have got a destination. You've got to be somewhere. You're the one behind, and it's a no-passing zone. And every time an opportunity comes to pass, there's someone coming in the other lane. You realize that whole scene takes place inside you? Doesn't something start eating at you on the inside when you can't get around that car? Sometimes. It's annoying. 
because you want to get somewhere. You can say, at least go the speed limit. You know, come on. Something is happening inside the individual person. Why is it that you're probably driving faster than you were the other day when you were looking at the leaves? But you've changed. You're not leaf looking. You're head hunting. You need to get there. And so all this turmoil begins to take place on the inside of you. And I mean, you can't wait to get around this car. Can you see how we're made up? The leaves didn't change. It's the same road. The condition of your life changed. See, God wants us to be able to be in control at all times. He wants us to be able to be behind that car and endure long. And while we're enduring, be patient and kind. Now, that's the clincher right there. Sometimes you just want to sit there and say, please go faster. And you think, don't you know? As a matter of fact, this is a very good classic case. When I cut this thumb of mine almost off with a saw, I was by myself. And so I jumped in a car to drive to the hospital. And I'm going down. You know, you ever go through Vanport about 4, 3.30, somewhere? Did you ever go that way? Past 60 and ready to pass out, sitting in the car, and a line of cars is at the red light. And you're thinking, don't you know i got to go fast? And you have this thing going on inside of you, this turmoil happening inside you. And you, know, you can become very impatient in that setting. Well, God doesn't want us to be that way. God doesn't want that to dominate our lives. He wants us to endure long and be patient and kind while we're doing so. And you know what? I have to thank God for that. I was patient and kind while I was enduring at that particular time and not screaming at anybody going, trying to get to the highway. But um, we all have got to learn to make adjustments in our lives so as to fulfill this law of love. It says He wants us to endure long, be patient and kind while we're enduring. While you're waiting for your wife to put on her makeup and you're sitting out in the driveway in the car and you've got to be somewhere, you're waiting, you're enduring. Have you ever been there before, guys? You ever been there before? And you're sitting in a car and you're waiting. Now, my wife would never do anything like that. She's the sweetest thing. As a matter of fact, I'm amazed at how quickly she gets ready. She's fantastic. But the point is, you can sit there and something happens within you, within yourself. You know, you become nervous, full of anxiety. A guy likes to get in the car and go and take off and be there on time and all that, you know. And, of course, she has the right to look just right, just the way she wants to look. And she has not achieved that look just yet. <laughs> and if you want some solid advice, when she gets in the car, say she's achieved it. Am I in trouble? <laughs> Say that she's achieved it and she couldn't look better <laughs> than, than she does. But what I'm saying is there's a turmoil that begins to take place inside because, you know, we're waiting, we're enduring something. Maybe you feel a little bit violated for some reason. But whatever, you know, we want to make it known that we were edgy. Did you ever sit there and say, I'm not going to say anything? You didn't get five minutes down the road. You said it ten times. I know I've been there. You have to make it known that you were edgy. You have to make it known that you were waiting and enduring. See, that's not being patient and kind. 
Uh, guys, we want to master this. That while we're waiting, we're enduring, we're patient and kind. And ladies, likewise, there's a lot of things, you know, that we do, that men do. And uh, the same thing is true. You have to endure a lot of things because of your mate being a human being. And whatever that thing may be, and there's not too many, but whatever that thing may be. <laughs> you know, you want to make certain that you also don't. Get impatient and become unkind while you're enduring. And that's the acid test. That's love's test. We want to arrive at a place where we can go through adversity and not really be overcome by our emotions. Let love dominate. Divine love dominate. As a matter of fact, try practicing that sometimes. I am not going to say a word about that thing that's trying to make me impatient. Right? Try doing that. It's like everything on the inside of you wants to come on the outside of you and say it. And did you notice that once you say it, you feel satisfied? There it is. There it is. I just blurted it out. I wasn't going to. I said I wasn't going to. Or like the one my dad used to use. My dad used to just sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then finally, the horn. And when he blew the horn, we ducked in the back seat because we knew what was going to happen when she got in the car. You ever been there before? You don't blow the horn when my mother's in the house getting ready. You don't blow the horn in the car. You can do everything else. You can sit there. He can smoke. He can steam and all that. And even you know, start telling us kids, you know, that, you know, where's she at? What's she doing? She's not ready. We got to go. We're going to be late. Blah, blah, blah. If we see his hand going near the horn, it's like we better duck. Either get out and run. Leave now. Because, you know, if, if, she, if he blows that horn, it's all over. It's, there's something about it. They don't like to hear the horn blow. Whew. God wants us to develop being patient and kind while we're enduring. And once again, why should we do this? Because we want to rise up above the human realm and start living in the God realm. Because, beloved, when we master living in the God realm, you know what? There's where you're going to have more manifestations of the power and ability of God in our lives. We want to take this to heart and practice it and let God know we're practicing it. Say it with me. I endure long. I'm patient and kind while I'm enduring long. This is 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 in the Amplified. Love endures long and is patient and kind. And we're supposed to say constantly, I endure long, I am patient and kind. You say, but that's not me. That's why we want to say it. Say it over and over and over. I endure long. I am patient and kind. As a matter of fact, there's so much here, you should just take one every day and say, I'm going to practice this today. I endure long today. I'm patient and kind while I'm enduring long today. I am practicing the agape of God. I am learning to walk in and live in the, the realm of God, which is divine love. Look at the next part. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. And you can say about yourself, I'm never envious I don't boil over with jealousy. And you know, beloved, in the world in which we live, it's very easy for people to become covetous. As a matter of fact, that's exactly why Satan fell. Satan was covetous. He wanted something more. Can I make a statement here about this? In the beginning, when God made man, He gave him all things to enjoy. He didn't fall because God was holding back on him. He fell because he thought there was something more to have. And who told him there was? Satan. 
Satan come along, came along and said, there's something more God's holding back. Now imagine this. He's in a perfect place. He has everything to enjoy. Everything anyone can imagine. Anything anyone's heart could possibly desire. It's all at his disposal. And he is in charge of it all. Satan comes along and says, God's holding back in one area of your life. It's one area. That nod away at them. Think about that. It was not that God had something that he was holding back. It was the thought of it. And just the thought that someone else has something better than I have can destroy people's lives. You know, that's true. David couldn't stand the thought of someone else having a beautiful wife. Could he? Couldn't stand the thought of it. Some people can't stand the thought that some others are blessed. That's called covetousness. And you know, in some cases, it's nothing more than the thought. We think that others have it better off. And you know, in some cases, they may not. Isn't that true? But the thought of it. God wants us to develop ourselves in love so that we are content with what we have. And we refuse to covet anything anyone else has. As a matter of fact, instead of being jealous, you know what you practice doing? When you see someone who has been blessed, praise God, I rejoice with you, and I pray that God will bless you a hundred times over. And I'm telling you, I'm rejoicing in the fact that you are experiencing the blessings of God in your life. You just go ahead and go overboard to thank God and rejoice with that person. And then you can always conclude by saying, I've got the same Father. Don't you have the same Father? And God will bless us likewise. Amen. So God's not holding back. But some people think that God is holding back, but He's not. It says, it's not boastful or vainglorious and does not display itself haughtily. You know, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Or a haughty spirit before a fall and pride before destruction. This is exactly how Satan fell. It's exactly how Adam fell with a haughty spirit full of pride and all that. And love does not act that way, not one percent. There is not one percent of any of this in God, in agape. And God wants us to walk in the realm of His love in such a way that we're not boastful. We're not bragging on ourselves or anything that we have done. As a matter of fact, if we're going to boast about anything, let our boast be of the Lord or in God. Amen. If we're going to glory in anything, the Bible says glory in God. I'm not boasting on myself. I'm boasting on what God has done in and through my life. And that's it. I'm boasting on God. And God wants us to live that way. We're not full of um, vain glory. We're not full of pride. We're not haughty. We're not conceited. And that should be our confession of faith. I'm not conceited. I'm not arrogant. I'm not inflated with pride. I am not rude. You know there are some rude people in society today. You ever come across any? Honestly, there are some rude people in society today. I mean, as a matter of fact, Brother Chuck and I, we, have, we, we met some rude people on an airplane. And I mean to tell you, you know, we're traveling and these people were so rude. You know how we do, we normally, if, if someone is going, to, if you're getting out and you're getting ready to, you know, deplane, and the, you wait for the people in front of you until they all go, you know, file out and they get out and then it's your turn. Not in Taipei. You don't do that in Taipei. They run you over. Knock you down. 
We d- couldn't believe what was happening. We left San Francisco, you know, and, and we're f- the people would absolutely, if you started to walk in the aisle, they would bump you over, just about knock you flat on the chair and not say a word like, excuse me, or I'm sorry, or anything like that. They'd knock you in the head with their briefcase, anything. Anything. Sometimes that brother Chuck, I think he had his hand on the, on the armrest. This little fellow sitting next to him just would get up and just about step on his hand. He was shorter than I was. He couldn't reach up to get his briefcase or his, his, his book he was studying. Actually, it was a Bible we found out. But I mean, I, I really never saw people like that to that degree of rudeness. And even in some of the stores in the Philippines, if you, you know, you're polite and you wait for people to be waited on because they were in line before you. These people would take their items and just push the people out right in line in front of them, push them out of the way and put their stuff right in front. That's how they were. Just operated that way. God doesn't want us to be rude. He wants us to demonstrate love in every way. He doesn't want us to be unmannerly and He doesn't want us to act unbecomingly. And we're to make that statement on a daily basis. Well, we're never going to cover all this, but, but the whole point, beloved, God is speaking to hearts today. And He is saying that He is love. Everything we experience in Christian life is to be born out of love. Too many have gotten off on tangents and too many have gone on spiritual excursions that are really not within the framework of God's love. And He does not want that kind of display to continue. He wants people to be well-versed, well-rooted, and grounded in divine love and totally motivated by what love would do. Then you'll never get unbalanced. You'll never get off base. And when it comes to walking in faith, beloved, your faith is always going to work for you because you choose to live in God's realm of divine love. And when you want spiritual gifts to be in operation in your life, it's because you are following the pattern of God and the program that says, make love your highest aim and greatest quest. And born out of that, you'll have a desire and spiritual gifts will manifest through you. But those gifts will be a byproduct of the love of God. Those are love gifts. In other words, if you really want to help someone so badly... You have so much compassion, it'll just come out of you. I remember an instant where John G. Lake said he was in a situation where this woman was just just dying. And I mean, she was wasting away. This was in South Africa and just wasting away and wasting away. And they prayed for this person and there was nothing that was happening in this person's life. They prayed the prayer of faith. They laid hands on her and all that and she was nothing better. Her body was just wasting away like tuberculosis or a cancer that was just wasting it away. And she was dying quickly. When all of a sudden he was this, this one day, you say, how, does the, how do these things happen? It's born out of love and compassion for humanity. And while he was walking toward her little hut, he said, I at a distance heard her screams. You know, we want people well. We want people whole. Some people want people to be well and they want to be the ones that lay hands on them because they want to get the recognition that I laid hands on so-and-so and they got healed. I've had people sit and tell me. You know, they're just so happy and proud of it with almost with a, with a haughty type of spirit. I did that or I did this and I laid hands on them and when I did, they got healed. No. Listen carefully. Because... With that kind of an attitude and motivation, what will happen is soon you won't have a manifestation of the power of God. Listen carefully. 
when he heard those screams, he had already done everything he knew to do. But when he heard those screams at a distance, something, he said, welled up within me, inside me. He said, I can't describe it, but it was a compassion I never experienced before in all my days. This compassion rose up on the inside of him. He went to her bedside. He took her in his arms. He embraced her and wept with her without saying a word, just weeping. And as he wept, that compassion that was so full and so rich was so powerful, her body was brought back to total health. They shall lay hands on the sick. But let's qualify that. You've got to have something to give. And those that believe on Him. And we talk about believers on Christ. Those whose hearts are patterned after His. Compassion healed that woman. And brought her back from sure death. As a result of the love of God. And beloved, what have we really done with those four short verses? That really unveiled to us. If you can imagine this. Unveiled to us the very heart of God Himself. For God is love. Every one of us should be through these verses with a fine-toothed comb. And look at them. And practice them. Until we become living examples of agape love. We didn't get to that one yet. But I want to say it over and over again. It chooses to believe the best about every person. It chooses to believe the best about every person. If someone says something evil about somebody, you know, you can choose not to believe it. You say, but what if it's true? Well, I still don't choose to believe the worst about anyone. I still will choose to believe the best about any person. Always find something good to say about somebody. If we really love Him, then we will really love humanity. And if we're really living in His realm and growing in His love, we will love human beings with a genuine love. Can you say amen? Amen. We're going to pick this up. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.